The Edifice Complex podcast is brought to you by DCM, the drawing specialists, Blue Rhythm Commissioning Software, and Sensor Suite, the future of intelligent buildings. Welcome to the Edifice Complex, the property design and development podcast. Let your hosts, Adam Muggleton and Robert Bean, keep you up with who is innovating and doing great work, perspective on the adjacent possible, and challenges to the status quo. Welcome to the Edifice Complex. I'm Robert Bean, your co-host and unofficial mediator here with my colleague, official agitator, friend, and Yoda of most everything to do with buildings, Mr. Adam Muggleton. Say hello, sir, Yoda. Hello, Yoda. So just before we get going here, I have to have a disclosure. James, who is on the show today, is a colleague of mine from the UK. He's awesome, but just so you know, we work together and uh, that's why he's on here because he's revealed things to me over the last couple of months that I had no idea of and I'm supposed to know what I'm doing, right? (laughs) (laughs) You're not alone, not alone, Adam. (laughs) Yeah. So our guest today is a highly skilled acoustic consultant with over 18 years experience providing noise and vibration, design advice and testing, encompassing planning, environmental, architectural and building services, acoustics. He's a member of the UK Institute of Acoustics and chairman of the UK Institute of Acoustic Building Acoustic Group. Some of his recent contributions to the field include principal author of the 2020 ENC Acoustic Ventilation Overheating Guide, which is an important document. The 2022 Guide to Demonstrating Compliance with Noise Requirements of the Approved Document O and a contributor to the 2022 Future Homes Publication Part O uh, 2021 Technical Guidance. He's the Director of Overheating and Acoustics with AESG, an award-winning specialist consulting company, engineering and advisory firm. The office is in London and Dubai, which is sometimes why Adam's not around because he's in one of those two locations, three locations. And of course, the company works... I think almost around the world, aren't you guys? Europe, Asia, wherever there's whatever there's money and problems, you guys will be there. Wherever the check is waived, we will go and collect. Exactly. So welcome to the show, James Healy. Thank you very much, Robert. James, between 1996 and 2005, <laughs> your academic journey took you through the field of sound engineering. You're in a specialized league. There's no doubt about it. Working in part to prevent or solve acoustical problems, which by the way, for our listeners, we're in COVID times right now. I kind of put some date on this particular discussion and a large part of the world is focusing on air quality and no doubt an important element when it comes to indoor environmental quality, but COVID aside, pathogens aside, airborne issues aside, sound is still the number one complaint in buildings today and has actually been for a long time. Part of that was came about from solving IAQ problems, right? Going to more yeah. natural materials, concrete, glass, wood, tiles, well, whatever, uh, right? Well, you know, the well-being standards in offices were adapted, which took, brought in by Philia, stripped out sort of medical-type sterilized areas and, and made them visually appealing. But as a result, they made them noisier. And yeah. people's noise was the number one problem in offices, and, and it's gone up, and it, and it is still the number one problem for people in offices. And the same for the same back for dwellings. Neighbour noise is the number one issue in the entire UK, and I'm sure it is in, in other regions as well. Yeah, we're going to get into these issues in greater detail, but before we do that, we always like to let our audience know who the heck you are. <laughs> so tell us who the heck you are. How'd you get here? You said 1998 to 2005. So that journey, I finished school and I started an engineering course in college, 
primarily because I was reasonably good at maths and and science and got bored of it, to be honest. To be honest, I really got bored of it. And I loved music and I was a DJ, you know, as as an 18-year-old kid. I thought that's my vision is music and music production. I was DJing out in clubs. I decided I want to be a music producer. So I went and did sound engineering at college. That was back in the day where digital revolution was just coming around. 96, 98, 2000, it was just about coming coming around. So I got the opportunity to, to actually learn the analog style of way of doing things, splicing two-inch tape, for example, in recording studios and recording all sorts of famous local rock bands in the cool. process. You know, my passion was, was about sound and, and music. That took me through to sort of four or five years of studying. But in that, in that process, that something li- a little bit, something sparked in me. And that was the, you know, how, how sound is produced and how we, how we experience sound. And, and I, did, I did one module in acoustics. Acoustics is the science of sound. I did one module in acoustics and, and I found it very interesting. But I finished the course and I thought, right, I'm going to be a sound engineer. Let's, let's see what jobs are about. And, and there were so many people doing sound engineering. Most people hadn't even gone through a qualification and, and it was very easy to get a job in that. And I thought I want to be more specialised. At the same time, I was witness to some of my family members who were really excelling. So my uncle is the designer of the three platform oil platform in, in, that you see in the in the sea, and he helped design the Harrier the Harrier jump jet with it right. got takes off takes off vertically. In his later life, he designed automated vehicles for the Navy, the U.S. Navy. He moved out to the U.S. before I was born. So I saw I saw some of these people in my family excelling, and I thought I really need to do something that really pushes myself. And I hadn't gone to university and that was it. I got all my partying out of the way until 2000. And then at the age of 20, or 23. I was going to say 2021, but. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still live life to the extreme, but, but, but I'm, I'm a sensible, sensible family man. I joined, I, I joined the university at 20, um, age of 23. And I did four years at, uh, in, as an acoustics course up until 2005. Mm. So that's how it brought me to 2005. And little did I know that stumbled upon an amazing opportunity on the basis that very few people study acoustics and that's declining. And those that do study are becoming or or qualify are becoming more and more sought after as people's perceptions and expectations Mm -hmm. increase. And, And as we get more populated, we stumble upon each other and noise becomes like you've highlighted a, a big issue. Acoustics was, I just stumbled upon a career that I enjoy and it happens to do me good. You know, we did some work for BC Housing and I remember <laughs> one of the dialogues that we had with their executive team had to do with natural ventilation. And I said, natural ventilation is all fine and dandy until you open up a window and then you get the traffic, you get the air pollution, you get the yep. light pollution. It's like, and the sound, like you said, I mean, as the as the densities increase in areas, whatever it is, rural areas, downtown cores, whatever, noise becomes a huge issue. So it's not only an issue on the outside, it's an issue on the inside and yep. what's on the outside what's in and what's on the inside what's out. And well, and a lot of people don't really know a lot of suppliers that supply products and they just want to sell you the solution of their product. They don't really sell you the solution is best for the building or for, for the example. So you get a lot of people that are, okay at doing acoustics you get some people that are are good and and, other, and some that are exceptional so it is a skill and it's um definitely a good skill to have yeah yeah for sure well i know and adam i don't, I don't want to take all the time here because what's interesting about this is that when you go to the national building code of canada and there's a requirement you know that uh, the building should be designed to limit the 
probability that people will get ill as exposed to moisture, bad air quality, and thermal issues. And put brackets around that statement. But if you dig deeper, there is a requirement for sound analysis. But it seems to be like this small little sentence that just sort of hides within the millions of sentences that are in the building code. And But it's a requirement to do sound analysis. I bet you that gets skipped over because it's not brought out of the, into the yeah. forefront of, of, the, of the regulation. Yeah. yeah. So you can actually, you know, now everything's in PDF, right? So you can do a word search and you can do sound and it'll, the building code will actually addresses it, but well, no one does it. Back in 2012, the government in the UK got rid of all the red tape for planning re- requirements. And, and prior to that, it was very prescriptive. And, and they said, thou shall not build sensitive residential properties in it where you're exposed to this decibel of noise. The government scrapped all of that and left it, left it with three bullet points in the planning, planning policy that related to noise. And so our industry took it upon ourselves to reintroduce what we thought was a prescriptive approach, which, mm. which gave more flexibility. But yeah, it, there's so many, regu- so, so many regulations across the world. And some, some countries do it very well and very prescriptive. And the UK is very prescriptive now in the approach. But there are a lot of other countries. The Middle East, that, they're, that um, it's a bit of, you know, hit and miss. Dubai is very good, for example, or, or, but it is really hit and miss. You know, I'm not sure what it looks like in Canada, but it's, it can easily get, get missed. And, 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 and it's strange because it's the number one issue that people mm. experience when they're living in their homes or in the offices. Yeah. It's, it's in, we're in an interesting time, right? I think there's actually a slow motion train wreck going on in our business at the moment. So typically, let's talk about residential, but it supplies everywhere, right? We control based on temperature, right? And, you know, it's not even mean radiant temperature, right? It's just temperature, So we control on that. Yet ventilation requirements are now in the public awareness, right, because of COVID. Pollution, people are more worried about pollution issues, right? Then there's temperature and comfort issues. Then you throw in IEQ and IAQ, which people are becoming more aware of now. And sound becomes an issue. Now, sound is one of those things... It's a bit like plumbing or printed circuit boards. You don't care about it till it hurts you or really irritates you. Right? <laughs> then you really, really care about it. Yeah. You know, and what's happening is I think as a public awareness is coming and people are trying to do things and performance is becoming an issue, there's this just crash going on. These conflicting like requirements are going to have to work themselves out. And sound is a big factor in that that no one's talking about. I'll tell you why it's such a big factor, Adam, and not not because I <laughs> because I'm passionate about it. It's massive because, and, and the same with air, air quality to a certain extent, although that's improving. But it's massive because it's it's not relating to the the building is, itself that, and how you build mm. it. Because sometimes yeah. you need solutions that that would by themselves not let sound in. It's it's actually related to the environment and 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 the design of the environment. So it comes down to bigger picture policy really in some in a lot of cases and in the in europe there is a policy to at least declare and identify when i say europe i'm including the uk identify places where sound doesn't feature or yeah. less features less and they're, they're labeled tranquil areas but oh, I, just, I have some <laughs> tranquil areas in the uk they're definitely not tranquil <laughs> no, yeah but yeah it's a challenge because it's not something that is easily controllable is what i'm saying so one yeah. of the insights and sort of bits of knowledge you've been dropping on me over the last few months is, you know, climate zone is an issue, right? Yeah. And uh, sort of like density is an issue, right? Yeah. And so what might be a problem, say, in London or Toronto is not necessarily a problem outside Calgary. 
you know, or in the wilds of France. There is a application level to this as well, right? So just give us a bit of background. So for our audience, you know, the, the UK building regulations have been overhauled. Now, the UK building regulations are quite stringent anyway, and they've been overhauled and are completely being overhauled continually all the time as the government's moving towards their net zero obligations, which I think is now policy. And there's been a recent update to building regs. So if you could just tell us about the background of that and then what, well, what, what it means and what you think it's going to consequently deliver. So, so in countries where it's hot anyway, the people have designed buildings differently and where it's, where it's naturally very cold, people do it, produce a different design. In the UK, we've got traditionally, we've got a fairly tempered summer, but a colder winter. And since the 60s, the, the regulations for, for residential properties have, have increased in terms of thermal performance, trying to improve thermal performance to try and reduce energy consumption. And that's great because we, we, need, we need to reduce energy consumption. That's exactly what we need to do. But as they've gone through, uh, and, and, that, and there was a huge change in the in the 90s and then got very prescriptive in, in early 2000s with that prescription that introduced requirements for uh, thermal performance of, 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 of dwellings and, and, and indeed um, a huge army of, of, of energy assessors was born from that huge change in 2006. And then it kind of stayed as business as usual. And what happened was we were making our properties very much less air permeable, less air leakage, more, more airtight better thermally performing, energy consumption was reducing. But at the same time, we're quite a dense population. So you have got, I mean, the majority of houses are built on open sites and majority of dwellings are built on sites that aren't that densely populated. But but actually, a lot are also built in city centres, in town centres and apartments and flats. And you're packing things on top of each other and, and increasing the thermal performance, reducing air permeability. And ventilation was kind of on the side. And there was nothing at all in any regulation except in what we have as a housing act, which is kind of like a, a health and safety feature, which which environmental health would enact if there was a real problem. But there was a, a little reference to that since, since 2005 to do with thermal comfort. But nothing really thought about thermal comfort. And all the time, we're making these properties hotter and hotter and hotter. And people are experiencing real problems as a result. All of a sudden, the government realised, actually, we need to deal with this. So they did some did some research. The reason why I'm involved in this in the first place is that there is an assessment method to assess overheating in properties. And people do use computational modelling. They predict what the, you know, if it's above a certain threshold, it's going to overheat. And then they need to devise a solution to solve it. So the, normally the process is that you reduce get heat gains, solar gains and internal heat gains as much as practically possible, and then you remove excess heat when you can. And normally the default solution has been in the UK to just open your window. And that is pretty much the solution when you haven't got air conditioning anywhere in the world. It's just open your window. But And there's nowhere in the world that has really thought about this except the UK. And in 2016, we formed a committee because people were opening the windows and then saying it's too noisy to sleep. I can't sleep, but then I close my window and it's too hot and I can't sleep. And sleep disturbance is the number one effect on health across the whole of the world in terms of noise. So noise-linked sleep disturbance is the number one health effect mm. that reduces people's life expectancy as a result. That's publicised in the World Health Organisation. So people are getting disturbed by sleep. They've got this problem where normally noise assessments say, you need to close the windows because it's too noisy. And normally overheating assessments say, okay, we've, we've reduced it, the gains as much as possible, now crack open the windows. And the two have been mismatched. 
So we formed this committee to actually draft guidance to consider all of it holistically and ventilation. Uh, and at the same time, we realised that everyone in the industry really doesn't understand ventilation or, or overheating at all. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, we've been on this educating mission for the last eight years, trying to educate our industry and then educate other industries about the significance of, yeah. of, of, of this. And, and the government realised, well, we've got this problem. And they did their own studies back in 2019 to, and they figured out, oh, we've got this housing stock and it's overheating. And we need to find a solution for it. And that's then led to the regulation. So the regulation was released and it, and it pulls on national guidance that we produced in our committee. And it pulls on other guidance that we produced from other committees, SIBSI, for example, in the UK. And we did the research a few years ago when we were doing producing this guidance document. There's nowhere else in the world that really considers this holistically at all. I don't think there's much on the way of overheating else, elsewhere in the world. And everyone thinks still thinks in a siloed approach mm. of thinking, OK, I've got to deal with my ventilation. Oh, and I've got this other thing, noise. I've got to deal with noise. And they've got, you've got someone, someone who's a ventilation expert dealing with ventilation. You've got someone who's a noise expert dealing with noise. And then you might have someone that's dealing with overheating and, and nowhere does it fit together. And we all know that they are all one combined, intrinsic, related element that is basically our indoor environmental quality. Well, the human body can't separate them. No. <laughs> you know, and that's, and again, I'm going to take this opportunity again to just educate our listeners is that when we use the term indoor environmental quality, so many people use that as a proxy for air quality or they use the term indoor air quality as a surrogate for IEQ and that is so wrong and it's actually created a whole bunch of problems for us that understand that IEQ is actually the sum of all of the environmental sensory systems that the human body has. It's really important to understand that. that we're talking about light, sound, odors, vibration, thermal, air quality. It's all of these things combined and you can have perfection in any five of the six metrics, but if one of the metrics is a mess, people will complain. Yeah. That's visualized best in a spider chart, Robert. I have this vision that it's not been realized yet, is that, is that we have a spider chart of all the environmental qualities and points. And the ideal solution is you've got a complete circle where everything is, is matched. Yeah, so it's as round easy. as possible. Yeah. Round yeah. as possible. But, yeah. but very, very, very rarely will you get that. I teach that in my courses. And we actually have a spider graph word, and but we use it more in terms of, well, we have the metrics, but we also define it as stress. So, mm. you know, the, the the response to bad sound or bad thermal environments or bad odors is stress in many different forms, right? And you can get, you get physiological stress, you can get psychological stress, or get both. And so the spider graph represents the different metrics, but in terms of levels of stress. and you're right. I mean, it, it, the perfect one would be a, a circle, but... Yeah. Well, you throw into that mix that people understand about um, air quality and the effect on humans. That's That's been re relatively well researched. There's growing research, but not anywhere near enough on the thermal effects of people when they mm. and how they respond. There mm. is no research, except for the work that we've done, no research to look at how people respond to noise as you get increasing thermal discomfort. Yeah. So, or indeed any of the other, those other metrics, noise is, is dealt with solely by itself, and, and no nobody understands how people behave. Would they accept a higher noise level in place of uh, lower thermal comfort or, or better air quality? You know, yeah. none of that research yeah. has been done. The edifice complex will continue in just a moment. Can you find the drawing and supporting documents you need in less than a minute? Now you can with Echo. It's simple. 
Just type what you're looking for and press enter. Echo knows your building. Speak with a drawing specialist today. Ask about our special offer of painless onboarding plus six months free with Echo. Visit podcast.thedsoffer.com. That's podcast.thedsoffer.com. And now, back to the show. And this is where we, you know, a firm believer that we have to, and we are actually, there is in down in Australia, the use of neuroscientists and looking at yeah. neurological responses and using things like QEG technology, which has been used in other areas of medicine. But, you know, we should be able to, in a laboratory, and there's like a, a hint that, that this is going on in some research projects, but be able to take a brain, and I use the word normal with sort of tongue in cheek, but a brain that can have a signature that represents what a normal brain would, would represent in a ideal space. Yeah. And where all of the indoor environmental metrics don't lead to over stress responses, right? And then we should be able to take and elevate noise in a space or the thermal environment or the light and then watch how the neurological response yeah. is to those systems. And through that, be able to define well, what is good stress and what is bad stress. Because we yeah. do know in the thermal environment, terms like allesthesia where, you know, it's suggested, and to some degree, there is, it makes sense, where some thermal stress is actually good for the human body. If you think about muscle reaction in a professional athlete, right? How did they get so good in balance? It was by being out of balance. But what happens right? in that situation where you've got other factors thrown into it? Exactly, um, right? So, yeah, so I think, unfortunately, I mean, it'll be, I'll be dead by the time. <laughs> One of the challenges with using the neurological sciences is that it's pretty easy to connect a brain to a computer within a laboratory setting, but to get someone to walk around in an office environment. Yeah. So wearable technologies that can do studies at a neurological level, that will be the next, I believe. It yeah, is, will be the there, next will, level. there will be. I mean, for years, they've measured, used EEGs for sleep disturbance. Yeah, wearable tech is definitely the way it's going to go. And, and actually, smart buildings that can determine conditions and wearable tech that determines response is definitely the way it, it will go. But but we're way off that. I mean, we, there are I do know studies in the UK that are looking at people at the moment, literally this, this summer, looking at an occupant's response to heat in terms of how much ventilation they use and uh, what noise level they're exposed to. There is that research going on. It's few and far between. It's not picked up worldwide because when you get south of, say, France in Europe, south of France, people are used to dealing with heat and they've got measures in their buildings to deal with it. And so not so much of an issue. And as you get further further north, further north on, in the northern hemisphere, the strip of north, it's not so much of an issue as it is, uh, you know, for example, in, in, in England or in France or or any of the other countries. And nobody really has, has tackled this problem until the UK or England has, has come along. And in Europe, if you, there's a band, right? This all goes yeah. through sort of Northern, Western Europe or Eastern Europe as well, where this matters, right? But yeah. what, what I was thinking of when you guys were talking was temperature and sound. Let's just talk about it. And ventilation rates, let's talk about them, right? Sound and temperature are used as forms of torture. So they freaking matter, right? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So... If you're even just getting an imbalance, a slight effect from sound, if you have a long exposure to that, that can be quite devastating, right? That oh, Yeah, a long-term higher exposure to yeah. noise. There's side effects. So the side effects are hypertension, cardiovascular um, problems, all of the heart, health, breathing-related things that come as a result of knock-on effects from stress, or sleep disturbance, all of those things directly affect your health. And it's not like it's um, easily translatable like fire when you burn yeah. and you die. But the, these things 
reduce your life expectancy. That's how the World Health Organization measures it in disability adjusted life years. That's how they measure the effects of noise. That's I've been in a room you know, that removes sound, and that is also equally disturbing. Like it's <laughs> actually really bizarre yeah. to be in a space yeah. where a fully anechoic chamber. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, it's, it was, yeah, it's it was actually nauseating. I worked in a in a laboratory for for a year where there was the biggest anechoic chamber. I think it was in Europe, maybe even the world, where you could build an entire house within it. That was very strange because of the volume you can see with your eyes. And the sound experience, as, which was completely mismatched. Yeah. 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 See, that's a, that is a form of disorientation. Right? I mean, I did a elite yeah. platinum job in Canada and one, and it was a displacement ventilation job, thermal mass, radiant heating and cooling. And it was quiet as hell. And we got so many complaints on noise, we had to put white noise generators in. You do. Well, that's, that's a common problem with not, in fact, that's the, that's the biggest problem with, with, with offices yeah. is that people, people build offices. They design the, the services systems, even if it's ventilation or cooling mechanical systems, they're over attenuated and you, you end up with a lower noise level. And, and, and as a result, you get speech distractions because people can hear the other person talking yeah. across the other side of the office. Mm-hmm. And then that's the, that's the number one complaint of people is actually disturbance from their fellow employees. The most important connection to be made here is the effect to health, long-term mm. health, right? Yeah. You know, long exposure, even to something that's off a little bit, can yeah. be detrimental to your health, to your heart health. You know, it sounds ridiculous, but so people are either NLP and you now here, right? So you either your prime sense is like visual, auditory, or sensory, right? So my wife's prime sense is auditory. I can tell you, man, she can hear me whining about 100 yards. (laughs) (laughs) And if you are, if your prime sense is auditory, this is literally torture for you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's a reason why people are wearing ear headbuds and earbuds in offices. Do you know uh, Jennifer uh, Veach, NRC, Canada, sound expert? No. no, you really should, should connect these I'll, guys. Yeah, I'll, we've I'll had connect, her on I'll the, connect to Jennifer. Yeah, I will. Yeah, do that. we're uh, we've had her on the show before, and and I, you know, next time we we run into her, I'm going to even send her an email. And just uh, the consequences of noise problems in offices and people's response system when using headphones and earbuds. What's happening to people's sound ability to hear because yeah. they crank up the sound and they're at sustained yeah. levels for so high because they're trying to bl- drown out the environment. There's been a lot of research on that uh, on the on London Underground. Because pe- people have raised their levels of listening, you know, on an iPod or whatever, to mask the the effects of the, the noisy underground trains. You, you get, it gets to a point where even travelling for forty five minutes or an hour on on the underground would trigger hearing threshold and, and hearing damage. I believe it. It goes so many places. I know. I've got so many questions firing in my little yeah, brain at the moment. So. When you think about vernacular architecture, like let's go back several thousands yeah. of years, you know, and overheating was a problem thousands of years ago as it yeah. is today. Yeah. But when you go like into Iraq or Turkey or anywhere where it's just brutally hot, Middle East, the architecture of the day, you know, work, the clothing, the combination between architecture using basic Bernoulli, right? In terms mm-hmm. of natural ventilation of their buildings, light clothing, reduced Con- opening. Concrete, you know thermal mass. Yeah. yeah, all of that stuff. Shading, shading, yeah. Yeah, and then it works until you try to export vernacular architecture from one part of the world to another, and then you have problems. What happened, James? Like, what happened? Was well, all of a sudden, you know, like it, 2,000 years, 3,000 years ago, you know, people sort of figured out because they didn't have 
AC. There was no compressors. There was no refrigerants, right? They had to figure out a way even to make ice. Like when you go into Persia back, you know, like 2,500 years ago, they were making ice at night using night sky radiation, right? What the F happened? Well, I'm sorry to say this, but engineering happened. <laughs> and, 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 yeah, and, you're and right. We designed buildings that looked different, but to compensate, we have to put systems in. People are used to, still used to dealing. If you go to, I mean, most buildings are air-conditioned, most, most offices, for example, that where it, it's regularly hot. Spain is a really good example because you do get air conditioning, but they've got all sorts of features within the public realm and within the building design which reduce the need for that. So they've got shutters on the outside. You're used to seeing shutters in Spain. It's fairly standard. There's lots of trees along the streets, the shading, and the buildings are, are light-coloured. There's all sorts of these features which are standard in the architecture, and that's how people design and build things in, in Spain, which are completely alien to, um, to, <laughs> to somewhere like the UK. Or someone in America, you know, like, like before, you know, retired practitioner here, right? And then the dialogues that we would have, with our clients, which always started with property, the actual land itself, orientation of the buildings. And you know, then we would get into external shading, right? And then we would talk, we'd start to try to introduce the concept of well, keeping the sun off the building is the, is a really smart thing to do. You know, it's not a yeah. it's not a new idea. Yeah. <laughs> right. But then when you start to talk about shutters, it's like people go, What? That's so yeah. old. <laughs> you know what? It's simple, it's stupid, but it absolutely works. And all you have to do is go to places in the world that use shutters. And I think, you know, Spain is a good example. Italy is another great example. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the first time I landed in Italy and I'm and we're, and I'm you know, walking around. The buildings are conservative, small apertures, shutters on the outside, light, yeah. bright colors. Yeah. It's not difficult concepts, but here, particularly in North America, I know you two guys, have, your roots are in the, in the UK, but... Mm. The, You've got metal, metal facades, glass facades, completely different feature. Yeah, and I, you know, I use the word illiteracy, and I use, I've been using that word illiteracy for so long now because there's no other word that describes the illiteracy that our society has when it comes to architecture. And I'm talking about people on the street all the way up to architects and engineers and property developers and you name it. There's just a huge illiteracy that occurs. When you go back thousands of years, if they were writing books at the time, 3,000 mm-hmm. years ago as an architecture, well, I guess, was it Vitru- Vitruvius? You know, publishing just books. Just take the Romans. Engineers were spears. They had it <laughs> radiant heating. Natural ventilation. Do you know what I mean? My God. Like they can even build straight roads. Throw away the modern textbooks because it's crap. We're teaching people how to build bad buildings. But this is a really exciting time. I see that as an opportunity. This is a really exciting time because, it, I mean, it's serious. It's really serious because we're, yeah. we're, we're, now, we're now talking about this because of climate change. We're talking about this because, and everyone is focused on reducing the, the impact of climate, reducing the severity of climate change, going net zero, reducing carbon emissions. Everyone's thinking that along those routes right now, which is great. But what we're actually talking about is dealing with the effects of it when we've got it. And we're going to have it. We're going to have climate change. And we're experiencing it more often now in the UK. We're on our second heat wave of the year already where we've got mid-30s. In July, we reached a peak of 41 or 40.6 or something in the UK, which is you know unheard of before. It's a record. And it's going to be the same in North America. You're getting heat waves and you're experiencing this. And they just are going to become more frequent, more severe. And actually, we've got to figure out ways of dealing with it. That presents a really great opportunity for, for people like us because 
in the end, we are engineers and we've got this engineering problem and we've got to find a solution, but we've got to think about people at the heart of it. So there's been lots of research done before, but there's actually so many gaps that need filling, you know, to fill those gaps. Yeah, I think what we're saying is, you know, climate-wise, there's going to be higher highs and lower lows and more volatility, right? But I think the engineering solutions are here. What we need is a cultural change of mind, right? So to Robert's question earlier, you know, what happened what happened was the 1950s and 60s came along and we thought we'd nailed it, solved it. We are the best air conditioned shit out of everything. Everything, energy's cheap, right? And that mindset still persists. In North America, yeah. you know, it's uh, 21 degrees, plus or minus one degree. Thank you very much. And they just run that sucker and keep that going. Yeah. Whereas in Spain or the UK, you have an outside air reset and you could let that temperature rise to 26, 27 degrees if outside is 40 and you'd feel awesome. Right, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but yeah. the America, North America, Canada, and America has been so spoiled for cheap energy. Now people lose their minds here when energy prices go up. If they ever went in the UK and saw how much it costs to fill up a car with gasoline, <laughs> they'd lose their minds. Their heads would yeah. explode. Right. Yeah. So you know, there's, there's a cultural reset that has to happen. What I think is happening is this: this car crash is happening right now. Can I say something controversial, though? I don't think we're going to get around the fact that we need to use energy to solve these problems. You're not. We do need to use energy. And in fact, probably need to use a bit more, but that the problem is fossil fuel energy. And if we can make energy that's renewable in abundance, then we can use the energy to solve the problem. But actually, what we need to know really is what problem we're resolving, what target we're going to strive to. Because at the moment, we don't know. We don't know how people behave or how people react mm. to different environments and different situations. And so how on earth are we going to design these, the way we live or the way we work to cope with that? We know that we're comfortable at 20, 21 degrees. We don't know what point we need to start making thinking about trade-offs. And all of those things have a real direct consequence on how much energy we use now, how we behave. I do think that the future is more energy, but actually renewable, locally generated, and actually non-fossil, which that, that's the future. That's it, and that's the, the whole energy, story on decarbonization, electrification, right? This is what's going to happen. The only thing that's going on at the moment is no one's accepting it. It's going to be yeah. nuclear. The yeah. base load has to be handled by nuclear power, and then renewables will take the picks and troughs. That's what will happen. Can't say what, what that's <laughs> <laughs> Adam, 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 be French. Every so once in a while, Adam introduces the N-word, and it's <laughs> not good because... And you know what we could do with that waste? We're going to say, Elon Musk, stick this in your rocket and send it out to ET. That's what's going to happen with the waste. The mindset, you know, in the UK at the moment is very much, I don't know how standard air conditioning is in in North America. Everywhere. Uh, It's everywhere. (laughs) Well, Um, it's going to get worse. Yeah. But in the UK, there's nowhere. You've got got air conditioning in offices. There are very, very few properties, except Mm. for London, where air conditioning is often installed. And everyone in the entire UK is still building properties without even thinking about this. Even when the regulations passed, they're still building stuff. It's quite clearly not compliant. There's going to be a whole, whole heap of lawsuits, I think, in a couple of years when people realise there's a regulation to protect them and, and people aren't building to it. But it's slowly getting understood, but it's really, really, really taking up a lot of time because, as Adam said, it's a fundamental change in perception and mentality and how you approach these things. But in an ideal world, you're designing for well-being first, right? You're working yeah, back right. from that. Yeah. And that spider graph is as round as possible, right? Now, the only way that's happening 
said as a libertarian is with government regulation. So I actually am on board with what's going on here because the only way you you get that change is to force it, really. Yeah. Well, we, the, one of the things that we identified when we wrote our guidance document was it was, yeah. a, it was a guidance document by our industry, but it had no teeth. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and the only time it got teeth was when local authorities would require it to be considered yeah. in, in a planning application, for example. Yeah. It had no teeth. And that's why I refer back to the the um, Housing Act, because that was an act of parliament in the UK, yeah. which mandated people to consider it. But it was again, it wasn't widely used. So whilst it's um, a difficult thing to lump into the, uh, I don't know what that you have in North America for, for people that oversee code uh, compliance. In the UK, they're called building control officers. They're called co-compliance people here. Co-compliance. So, and they can um, be from the city or they can be independent. There's yeah. sort of some self-certification movement, but it's not. Yeah, there's, and that's the same in the UK, but they have to know a lot about everything, and that's impossible, really. Yeah. And, and, and as these buildings get more complex, we're requiring them to know even more and more stuff. And, and all, all that's happening is that, they're, they're, and, and they, in fact, the law is changing the UK to place the onus on the developer and the consultant to yeah. comply. And actually, when someone says you comply with, comply with building regulations, we'll give you sign-off for your application to build. There's a clause at the bottom that says, by the way, the onus is on you. And we, and this doesn't constitute a statement to confirm that you comply with any of the regulations. Yeah, yeah. The so, clause. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really just wakes everyone else, should wake, should wake everyone else up. And, that, and that's come as a result, as Adam said at the, right at the beginning of the FICE, Fire Safety Act and the, the changes in the UK from from fire safety perspective have placed the requirements on the developer and the consultant to design appropriately. I'm sure that mantra, I would expect that mantra to follow as our buildings get more complex and we're requiring people to think about rubber stamping stuff that they just don't know about. Well, that's got to go away. There's got to be consequences for that. But what I want to get to is when you and I were in Avison Young's office the other month, and telling them about this this new land that was going to come and come and affect them. What I was struck by was there's consequences to this document now, right? This this document mm. is a building regulation or building code document. You can't ignore it, right? You got to comply. Yeah. And one of the things I took away rightly or wrongly was we're going to wind up with more mechanical ventilation, well, possibly air conditioning, right, to yeah. comply with this. So we will because as soon as you open the window to remove excess heat, we let yeah. noise in. And if you let too much noise in, it's going to be above a level which is acceptable. The government chose a level, a noise level, informed a little bit by by the, the work that I've done. But in effect, they've chosen that that threshold. And as a result, you can't open your window in, in anywhere where, where it's, it's moderately noisy. Because we're talking about removing excess heat, we need, we need, a, uh, we need airflow, we need passage of air or yeah. tempered air. We need passage of air, we need air movement or tempered air to actually solve the problem. And the open window does that to a certain extent, but actually when you close it, you've got a real problem. And the only way to solve that is actually have, you know, either extract ventilation or, or supply, normally extract ventilation at increased rates with openings in the facade to permit makeup air or replacement air as you're extracting the air. The problem you've got, of course, is you're putting an opening in the facade. So you've got this acoustic challenge where You've got to design acoustic openings at the same time as mechanical systems that are extracting air at much higher rates than we're used to for background ventilation. The edifice complex will continue in just a moment. Are you struggling with paperwork, spreadsheet overload, and project management? Then Blue Rhythm is the solution to help you. 
Streamline your commissioning and project management process. Go paperless. Increase efficiency and save money. Blue Rhythm is commissioning and project management software by practitioners for practitioners. Adapting to your workflows and processes and doing things your way. Blue Rhythm provides painless and fast onboarding by bringing your existing workflows, forms, checklists, and issues logs into Blue Rhythm for you. You can use their pre-built templates to customize your commissioning workflows. And Blue Rhythm can fully handle the transition from your current software platform. Blue Rhythm is secure, scalable, and reliable, backed by amazing support, and accessible 24-7 on any Windows, iOS, or Android device. Why are you still using paper and hard-to-control spreadsheets? Start your free Blue Rhythm account today at bluerhythm.com. Are we there yet? Yes, we are. The future promised real-time monitoring and control of our buildings, and now that is a reality with Sensor Suite. The only question you need to ask yourself is, how much energy and water is my building wasting each year? Sensor Suite will do the rest. With Sensor Suite solutions, any existing building and equipment can be retrofitted with smart sensors and controls that generate an industry-leading high-resolution data feed, unlocking a level of operational optimization and visibility across your entire building portfolio. This allows analysis and targeted interventions that turn old analog buildings into intelligent, energy-efficient grid resources, allowing monitoring and control at your fingertips through Apple, Android, and Windows devices. Make a difference to the environment and start saving money today. Go to sensorsuite.com or call toll-free 1-855-773-6767. And now, back to the show. So there's an energy penalty there. There's yep. also, you can't half-arse it. You've got to design that dial so it's not noisy, right? Yeah, because yep. <laughs> there's, no there's no point in turning on yes. your, your fan because you don't want to open your window and be exposed to the same noise as you would be if you're opening your window. Yeah. <laughs> so you expect, and users' expectations are, if they've got a building that's been designed to cope with this situation, yeah. they're going to expect the, the building to perform appropriately in all conditions. You can't have a really high noise level when you've got this system in place. And you're talking about high extraction, you know, 30, 40 litres a second from per room. It's not a small level of ventilation. And on top of that, you know, in some situations, when the solar gain or the heat gains are too much, you know, mechanical extract isn't the solution. It's, it, you need tempered air. You need an air to be feeding air into the room that's a, a lot lower temperature to push hot air out. And that is the... That is the conundrum, is that, that, that actually our buildings aren't in, at all designed for that at the moment. And it's going to take a wholesale change in the way people approach it to actually think, okay, I'm saving energy. I'm, uh, all the other regulations are about reducing energy, reducing consumption. But we've got to deal with the problem at the same time. So we might have to actually offset that by with, with some energy consumption, which places more stricter requirements on the levels that you're taking to produce the energy. So it's a whole thing which is people have not understood and not really taken on at all. Yeah. Just to give, like, again, our audience, because we have a worldwide audience, you know, yeah. a great example of the domino effect here is, was yeah. Vancouver the last couple of years. And due to climate change as a consequence, by the way, that's my catch, get out of jail phrase climate change is a consequence because I know shit about climate. I know, but, <laughs> but when there's changes of consequence, we need to pay attention to it. Anyways, climate change is a consequences that ultimately led to like hundreds and hundreds of people of dying 
And in part because the buildings weren't designed to deal with the changes that are occurring. And and so the quite concerned the government in British Columbia and as they are in other parts of North America with the art, existing inventory of architecture that just can't, it's not adaptable. Have they done anything about it though, Robert? No. So And so that's one of the big things right now is how do we deal with existing the existing yeah. inventory, not only in terms of architectural, but also social systems. And one of the problems that they had is that there were so many people that were called in due to heat stress that yeah. the response system, the healthcare response system was just not adequate enough. And people ended up with heat strokes and ended up dying well, uh, in it, their homes because people couldn't respond fast enough. Yeah, well, so, I don't know what the statistics are in, in Canada, but in the UK, on average, there's about 2,000 heat-related deaths a year. Yeah, that's just uh, insane. Yeah, and if they did nothing, the research shows that if they, did, if they did nothing to the housing stock, that would rise to 7,000 heat-related deaths by 2050. Yeah. So, and so it's a huge problem. And so yeah. one of the solutions or one of the response systems that you get is, well, well, then we have to encourage people to use air conditioning. Well, as soon as you encourage air conditioning, now you've demanded, increase the demand on the power systems, right? So now where's that power generated? Is if it's fossil fuels, it, that's a mess. It's got to be non-renewable. So, but one of the things that, you know, it's till this, and it irks me is that some of these people that passed away and they didn't have to, and it was the fact that people did not understand that if you could move people to an underground parkade on the north side of the building and plug in a few fans, you could have been in spaces that were, say, if it was 95 or 100 degrees Fahrenheit outside, underground five feet on the north side of a building yep. with a fan, you're going to need to put a sweater on. <laughs> yeah, and you'll get you'll get these uh, these cool islands that will, or, or community cooling spaces that will be popping up more often. I think they've got that a lot in North America. They, that's fairly standard, I believe to have community cooling spaces. Isn't the yeah. answer here also earth cooling tubes like you're dragging air, you know, through a, yeah. a duct yeah. underground where it's, it's reliably 55 degrees F? It is, but actually that's really expensive to do, Adam, because you've got to dig up the, the whole, all the ground to, to bury tubes. Yeah, um, and one of the challenges also with is actually microbials. And ideally what you would do yeah. is actually have a cooling coil in the intake of their HVAC system and use the yeah. ground to cool the coil rather than dump yeah. the cooled air directly into the space well, because the, some of them are done poorly and they can create uh, air quality problems. Well, in, in the UK, the government's cho- chosen to go down the heat source route, the heat source pump. So that's dealing with, with winter to, uh, is in any energy efficient way rather than ground source. Actually, these systems can be reversed in the summer. Yes. We can use the same systems to deal with both winter and summer. Nobody really is thinking about that yet. That is the, the next step, I think. So could you see a load of retrofits of heat pumps into existing buildings as a way of... Well, air source heat pumps or, um, only really work when your building is thermally efficient yes. and not leaky. Good luck with first, that. <laughs> the first thing you need to do is to make... It, otherwise, uh, otherwise, it's just running inefficiently the whole time. Yeah. Um, the first thing you need to do is to make the building... so. Going back, I'm an acoustic consultant. For eight years, I've been training, learning how about thermal and overheating performance yeah. and ventilation. So I know I ended up knowing quite a lot about all of those things. Not anywhere near as much as a specialist, in, you know, building physicist, but enough to know the holistic approach for all of these things that we talk about is environmental quality. It's definitely the the, the way forward is is um, some system that it can operate both in the winter and the summer where you've got these extremes. 
So retrofit would look like you might get subsidies for new windows and sealing up the facade or in, more insulation and then a heat yeah. pump retrofit. If you did that in combination, you might have a chance, right? I don't know whether, what it's like in North America or the rest of the world, but in the UK there are grants for that, but it's just not been, I think it's, it's fallen flat or not really been carried through sufficiently. But there is there are mechanisms in place to do, to do that and the government understand that. Like we're talking about engineering and making engineering cool, well, I've been become a real geek recently with the heat waves and actually yeah. trying to really focus on. I've got an existing 1930s building. It's leaky. Yeah. Fortunately, it's in a quiet area. You know, at night time, I can open the windows. But how do I reduce the, my heat gains with this existing property? You know, I follow people who are actually doing some quite fun things, which is you know, measuring their internal, external temperatures and, and other, other environmental qualities, putting awnings to bring out to reduce, to, to, yeah. to increase shading. There's all sorts of things that people are doing who are actually reducing their heat gains. People don't realise that actually, you know, in 30 years time, 2050, it's going to be really, really hot and, and frequently hot. And people will be looking out for that, seeking those things, those solutions, and they'll become those retrospective fittings, insulating your property, coping with solar gains, that, that will become a part of your normal way of working, of DIY work, really. The thing yeah. I wonder, wonder about in the UK is, is there a sufficient electricity capacity to deal with this? Because buildings are going electric, <laughs> cars are going <laughs> electric. Yeah, where's the power going to come from? We're not going to talk about nuclear again, Adam. No, no. All right. so, <laughs> I've got so much shares in that uranium mine. I <laughs> Chemical. <laughs> but, but actually, the way of thinking, and I'm, sure, I'm pretty sure this is the same for everywhere else in the world, is local generation. The centralised generation of electricity, the way we've got set up now, is not really efficient for the long term. And local generation is the way to go. And PV is a good example. But the problem is, most countries, the infrastructure isn't set up for it. So no. you're you're suddenly generating a lot of electricity, which you want to feed back in the grid, but actually the cable connections aren't designed to have that energy fed back to the, to the other way. So it's another issue, which you know yeah. we bury bury the cables in the UK. So and I'm, I'm sure that's the case in a lot of countries. So you've got this. There's a whole wholesale change in, in yeah. a lot of things that are coming in the next next ten twenty years. Yeah, I think it's a good time to be an electrician in the next twenty twenty four. Oh, I, without a doubt. Without yeah. a doubt. Okay, man. So we are coming up on time here. Just to summarize, my takeaway is there's new regulations in town. People are slowly becoming aware of them. And the consequences are probably going to be more mechanical ventilation, better design mechanical ventilation, not just, oh, he's a fan from Home Depot, right? Yeah. <laughs> proper, proper ventilation in homes, better standard of design in homes to account for acoustics and IEQ issues yeah. and ventilation issues. There's going to be a run on electricity. <laughs> he who lives near electricity generation grid is going to be a happy man. You know, there, there are consequences coming down the pipe here mm. that are going to present challenges. Yeah, and I would just add that, that I'm, I'm sitting in the UK, but actually there are other countries that are affected by this, and they're, and they're way behind the curve. So North America is going to, unless they enforce these things, it's not going to happen. And the same for Northern Europe. Uh, you know, these things are going to have to, to come to, for us to be able to deal with the, the environments we live in. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we normally finish up with some quick fire question each from one of us. So no phone a friend. <laughs> <laughs> so question I like is, tell us something about your discipline, acoustics, that most people don't know. It's not a black art. <laughs> it's, <voodoo. laughs> it's not a black art. But it, close. Everyone says, 
Yeah, everyone says it's black art because lack of understanding, but actually it's very specific. You give me a set of parameters and I will tell you exactly what that's going to be within a margin. That really is acoustics, is, is the interpretation of someone's perceptions and actually producing information which is accurate to the information, to the input parameters you've got. Yeah, look, you're in the health and well-being business. You just didn't know that, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everybody in IEQ is. Yeah. Okay. So James, one of the... Um, you know, we've had comments on the in the past with some of our guests about the importance of teaching kids in high school when you're at a place in your life where you can actually buy a home. Yeah. No one teaches kids how to buy a home. There's no yeah. education. It seems like society goes through this trial and error. And if you're lucky in your trial and error, you end up with a property that, you know, has a great environment, is energy conscious, right? Is set up to deal with future changes in energy sources, you know, but nobody teaches that. That is something that you have to experience. And many, many people have bad experiences. So if you were addressing high school students, they said, James, come on and teach our grade 12 students, you know, a class on how to buy a home. What would you say to them? Think outside the box. Look at the visuals. I always used to visit the houses I bought in the evening. Look at things outside the box. Because what you're looking at on paper might not actually be apparent in reality and you need to really weigh that up. And that includes environmental conditions, that includes your neighbours, that includes the, the building. It's not just about paying for it, it's about living. We're, 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 these, are, these are spaces that we live in, this, this is, this is, these are homes we're talking about. So consider all of the factors that come into what makes a home. Yeah, many years ago I wrote an article, the title was In a Town Called Comfort Only the Blind Can See. <laughs> and, the, and the basis of that was I was watching Ray Charles in their movie and he, the, he bought a new home. And I thought, well, if, you, if you're visually impaired and the aesthetics, the, the, the visual stimulation is not part of your decision-making process, what is? And it's sound and it's the yeah. thermal environment and it's the air quality. Yeah. And yeah. from that, I wrote that article in a town called Comfort Only Blind Can See. But it actually drove our initial engagement with our clients because we would say to our clients, listen, before you, no pun intended, by the way, before you engage an architect, sit in your own home in the middle of the space, close your eyes with a pen and a piece of paper and just observe with your other sensory systems what is going on in that space and what are the things that you don't like because you have a chance here to engineer that out in your new home. How do you use the space that you're living in? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly right. I've got an extension being, being built soon to be started. And the architect and the contractor don't like me because I've designed in sound insulation because I know that I've got bedrooms next to sensitive spaces and there's all sorts of things, features that I've designed in for that very reason that I'm trying to create the space that I understand would work for, yeah. for, for us, yeah. Yeah, that's great. I take it you'll be paying over market for all those services. <laughs> <laughs> materials, over market for materials, yeah. But this is a good point Adam makes, and again for our listeners, is that you know, when we were talking with clients about designing to the standard and then that design that we would create ended up on the street, and of course, people would have to bid on it. And the builders particularly, or the trades would say, well, what Robert has designed is an upgrade. And I would say to them in the design charrettes, listen, we designed to the standards and you're calling that an upgrade. That means anything below the standard is a downgrade. And I would look at the client and I'd say, do you want to buy the downgrade? Yeah. <laughs> Not one client said that they were looking for the downgrade, yeah. right? Well, so come I, on, man. Like, 
and I see a lot of designs which are just impractical, really. Yeah. That you've got to think about the practicality of it at the same time. Mm, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, that was good. Thanks for coming on, James. That was excellent. I think James, yeah. this is Thank a you. really underestimated, underrated issue that is going to blow up in a few people's faces, quite frankly. Some big developers are going to have some problems with this down the road. Yeah. And they just don't know it. They're sort of slowly driving into this mess with their eyes wide open, frankly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, Adam, I'm going to suggest we get uh, James back on again because I have a whole bunch of questions here about noise science, you know, the acoustics yeah. and decibels and these terminologies that people hear, but they are not quite familiar with it in terms of, you know, this what what is sound pressure and how do we deal with some of the acoustical challenges that we have in party walls and separation between, like, I have like, a lot of technical you questions for you. know what we should do? <laughs> we should get James back and have an IEQ episode, put a spider diagram up and just go around it and talk yeah. about <laughs> each point. Well, well, we could, you know, we should actually do that. Yeah. We should get, uh, you know, somebody from the CBE, someone from NRCAN, get James on on the sound. We, yeah, we workshop a spider diagram. Yeah, right. there we go. There you go. <laughs> it's in the brain. I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, man. Thanks very much. Any, any opportunity to talk about acoustics or passion, passions of mine is 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 welcomed. And actually, as you said, it's a sense of of us all. And it's actually pretty cool. I've designed some really amazing spaces, and you go into them and you think that sounds really good. And I've done a good job. People appreciate it. So yeah. yeah. Hey, James, what's I, I keep you on here? Sorry. There, it's a field, I th- and I, can, I don't, I'm probably not going to get the pronunciation right. But it's at semantics, uh, symbatics sympathetics or something where you know they'll take for example um, trays of water or sand yeah and they'll run noise through the surface of the bottom so it acts like as a diaphragm like on a yes. drum and uh, then the material turns into geometric shapes what is that all that's doing is exciting the modal resonance of the, of the plate you've got a plate a single plate material and and then you're exciting it to, and, and and the sand or the water it displays the modal resonance of the plate and it changes the frequency the input frequency and it will change the it will, it will excite a different modal response on the plate and that actually what you're seeing with your eyes there is actually what happens in a 3d form in a room right um, yeah and the rooms have modal responses in the x y and z axis and you sit in a corner of a room and it's biased towards low frequency because that's where low frequency mm. modes are most prominent. Yeah, so there's a whole heap of things we could go into about uh, acoustics, which I'm very, very happy to talk about, which are cool. And actually, it's things that we all experience in everyday life, which um, we don't realize we're actually experiencing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it matters, but people don't know how much it matters, right? This is yeah. the thing. Right. There's that's an awakening it. that needs to happen here. Okay, man. Listen, thanks very much for coming, James. That was awesome. <laughs> that's right. Thanks for your time, everyone. Acoustics is such a great topic. Obviously, James has a great yeah. background in it. I could talk with him and uh, you know just keep asking them questions for a long, long time. And this thing, whole whole thing about sleep disturbances, yeah. sleep deprivation due to sound, but also the other indoor environmental issues too, is huge. Listen, if you did a Google search, you know, sleep books, sleep as a health topic has really mm. come out to the fore in the last five to 10 years, right? Yeah. yeah People yeah. are really finally starting to work out that, you know, six hours a night doesn't make you Gordon Gecko. It makes you mentally retarded. <laughs> <laughs> That's my problem. I, I, I had to come to you, Adam, to figure out what the hell was going on with me. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about 10 years ago, I had to do a, I did a sleep study because my sleep hygiene was crap. And yeah. But as it turns out, my brain is one of those brains that doesn't turn off. Like there's, 
you know, they, they know by through sleep studies that the average person has, and I don't remember what the number is, but there's yeah. what they call arousal rate. So as you go through your sleep <laughs> <Yeah>, cycles, <laughs> right, there's an arousal rate. Right. And um, some people have a few and they yeah. can get into really deep sleep for long periods of time. They go through their cycles and it's normal or better than normal. But my brain just doesn't shut down at night. So, Do you have trouble sleeping long long periods? Yeah, that's that's the challenge for me. We worked on not only in terms of sleep hygiene, but also you know just other aspects. But p- part of it was being in a space that was dark, quiet, cool, right? Cool. So you just, for good sleep hygiene, you need your temperature to drop one or two degrees C. Yeah, space right. So you need like eighteen degrees C in your bedroom, quiet, jet black. Like yeah. no yeah, flashing right? lights, get rid of that TV. I do all the this phone. stuff. Get rid of the I phone. sleep like a <laughs> champion. <laughs> so anyway, you know, so the the whole subject matter is incredibly important. And as we sort of introduced at the beginning when we were introducing James, it is still the number one problem in buildings today, despite all the fact that we're going through this huge pandemic, global pandemic sound is a problem. And um but it's a problem that it has an engineering solution to, right? It's not, it's not new shit. Like we know what it takes to, to you know, engineer out noise, noise problems, but it's got to be done at the beginning. You, both of you guys were talking about, you know, trying to solve the problem, but the existing inventory of buildings, I don't know. That's, that's, that's just the t- subject that's so big. The, the, the problem is known and the solutions are known, right? It's a money issue and a will to do it issue, Right. So the will to do it will probably be solved for you. The governments will just legislate for it, right? So that will solve that problem. Then it's a money uh, do it, get it done job. But the key takeaway here for everyone is this is not a noise issue. This is not a building issue. This is a health issue. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Yeah. This is about your health and your well-being. Sleep, good sleep is linked to longevity. It affects heart, brain disease, everything, man. You know, yeah, just just that alone makes that subject everything you need to know. So IEQ, I think, is one of the most underrated design parameters and concepts out there. It's yeah. something they give lip service to. If I was king of lead, I'd get rid of IEQ point and I'd just make it all about IEQ. Yeah. President of lead, I hope you're listening. I'm sure you're not. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry, you'll listen. He'll have something to say yeah, about that. Exactly. Listen, we better wrap it up there. So I shall see you on the next one. Thanks, Adam. Cheers, man. Okay. Cheers. Bye. You've been listening to the Edifice Complex podcast with Adam Muggleton and Robert Bean. To access show notes for this episode, visit edificecomplexpodcast.com. Also, if you would like Robert or Adam to speak, teach, or consult on your project or business, please email admin at edificecomplexpodcast.com. See you next time.